team of half bulls uh, led by, you know, like Lori Markkinen and Justin Holiday, who's probably going to be their top scorer, and Denzel Valentine. Uh, how, what's the risk level for the Raptors losing this opener? Well, you remember the year that the Charlotte Zen Bobcats went, like, had seven wins, and they went, like, five and 60, no, five and, like, 59 against the league, against the rest of the league, and two and one against the Raptors? Uh, I'm not ruling that out. I mean, other than the total games, because that was a lockout shortened year. Uh, but it would be, this team's not going to win very many games, the Bulls. They are very bad, even fully healthy. Um, they're going to have trouble on the offensive end. Uh, they're going to have probably more trouble on the other end. Uh, we don't know what Zach Levine is when he's healthy, let alone if he can come back from a major injury. Uh, if the Raptors don't take care of business on opening night, it would be very surprising. But dumber things have happened. Uh, you know. Houston Rockets, not that's that dumber, but, you know, Golden State, we're all expecting to win 75 games and lose on opening night. Shout so, Tucker. Yeah. That would, uh, yeah, it's going to be a good fit. It's almost like <laughs> it's almost like James Herbert should have written about how P.J. Tucker's positional versatility ability to hit corner threes and uh, just general awesomeness was going to be a big factor in how Houston matches up with Golden State. Shout out to Yami Freitz. Yeah. Okay, so what else happened last night? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, more garbage from last night that fundamentally shapes uh, how people are probably going to view the Raptors season and what their status, their standing in the Eastern Conference could look like. Uh, we don't have a timeline yet, and there is conflicting information about what exactly the injury is. But six minutes into the NBA season, Gordon Hayward goes down with a gruesome injury. Don't look for the video or pictures if you haven't seen them yet. Uh, the team called it a fractured uh, ankle. Brad Stevens, after, called it a dislocated ankle and a fractured tibia. Whatever the case, Gordon Hayward is set to miss a lot of time, if not the entire season. Uh, and because the Boston Celtics were the Raptors' biggest competition for the Atlantic Division title, they were the Raptors' biggest competition when it comes to, you know, seeding in the Eastern Conference, other than the Cleveland Cavaliers, depending on where their effort level is at. Uh, LeBron James's effort level, by the way, very high, 29-16-9. And he's the, but, he's not, but he's not in shape. He's not in shape. So. He had to hit the Stairmaster after dropping 29-16-9. I think he just does that to screw with the Eastern Conference. I think he like, does it to make me feel bad about the fact that I didn't get to the gym yesterday. I'm like, oh, there's not enough time today. I've got too much work to do. LeBron plays 41 minutes, and then it's like, oh, also, I'm going to hit the gym. <laughs> uh, I, I, LeBron probably just does what he does because he wants to do it, not about anybody else. But, uh, You're saying LeBron is not living his life around me. Or even the Eastern Conference. Yeah. Um, okay, so Gordon Hayward is set to miss a significant amount of time. The Boston Celtics, obviously he was a huge addition for, him, for them. Uh, he's a big part of what they plan to do. This sucks from an NBA fan perspective if you're a Boston Celtics fan. Um, Gordon Hayward has worked tremendously hard to become the player that he is now. Uh, the Boston Celtics figured to be incredibly interesting and a lot of fun. And then, you know, outside of just basketball, Gordon Hayward has two young children to try to chase around the house and stuff. There's there's all kinds of bad with this. Uh, your reaction to the injury, and do you, did you even find yourself putting it in perspective of what it means for the Raptors? Um, I did not see it, first of all. I was having dinner with some friends, and then when I got back, Twitter was obviously lighting up, and somebody said, 
do not go and look for it. Just stay off the internet for two days, which is pretty much always good advice. But you know, particularly, uh, particularly now, it's. Um, I, I did think about it from a Raptors perspective, but first from the Celtics and, and like Hayward's perspective, you know, you, you think back to injuries like Paul George's in Las Vegas or Jorge Garbajosa's uh, in, I think it was in Boston back then, um, just gruesome leg injuries. And, you know, obviously Paul George has made a fantastic recovery and Gordon Hayward is in the prime of his career and has all of the resources behind him to do the same. But that is you know, one of the the truly awful injuries you can suffer playing basketball. Uh, and for the Celtics, I, I you know, I like their depth, and it's going to become a lot about how Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum can grow and how quickly they can do that. Uh, and for the Raptors, it gives you maybe a bit more of a window uh, you know, if that growth doesn't happen, uh, even if it does, I think if you, you're being honest, you feel a bit more confident without, you know, an all-star, one of Boston's three all-stars healthy. Um, that's sort of obvious, I would say. Yeah, and, uh, and, and, for, and for me, Frank, Gordon Hayward was probably Boston's best all-around player. Oh, no, don't tell, don't tell that to uh, the people who think Kyrie Irving is just the best point guard in the game. Um, people who think Kyrie Irving's better than Kyle Lowry. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Kyrie Irving is a tremendous offensive player. Yes. Uh, but Hayward, he, he's like, he's almost, you know, like a few years ago when Al Horford was in Atlanta and maybe a bit better and you're like, man, that guy does everything well. He's like a B plus at everything. That was, that's kind of Hayward. Like there's no... You know, you wouldn't say he's the best in the best in basketball at any one thing, but he can do everything, and that's a huge loss. Uh, it really puts more onus on the young kids and on Kyrie to carry more of a perimeter burden than than was planned with this team. And it makes their kind of their defensive holes in the wing, having lost Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder in the offseason. Uh, even more dramatic, because that's the guy yeah. who was probably... I mean, they still have Marcus Morris, who's a, a nice piece, and uh, Jalen Brown, you know, young players are by and large poor defenders, but uh, he should grow into that role. But if you look at, you know, say, uh, Raptors-Celtics series, or even just their four games in the regular season, um, you know, that's Marcus Morris's and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's uh, assignment now to guard DeMar DeRozan, and that's a lot less secure than a Jay Crowder or even Avery Bradley, who, who DeRozan's historically scored well against. Um, but is an, DeRozan, you know, talk, has talked about how uh, Bradley's one of the elite perimeter defenders. Um, so from the Raptors' perspective, I think the big thing here is this opens up the Atlantic Division. The Raptors, prior to this injury, were going off at five to one. Which, if you got that money, uh, congratulations, because that line is probably going to come somewhere much, much closer uh, to you know two to one now at this point. Um, yeah, I think the Celtics will be slight favorites still, but uh, it's going to be. Closer to a toss-up would be my yeah. yeah. So if you got that at five to one, good value there. Um, anyway, Congratulations. So from the Raptors, we we were gonna have to talk big picture predictions anyway. I know neither of us is like super fond of predictions, and you have uh, the Raptors preview panel going up at the Athletic Toronto today. Uh, but do you should be going up on Thursday? Oh, I believe. Thursday. Okay. Yeah. Um. So my question, I guess, is 
Not necessarily does this change your win projection for the Raptors because they only played the Celtics four times. And I don't know about you, but I kind of figured a 2-2 split may, was reasonable there. Um, does it change where you think the Raptors can finish in the Eastern Conference? And then, you know, I know this is quick back of the envelope math and projection and off the top of your head, but does it change the likelihood that the Raptors can make a conference finals run, whether it's because, um, you know, the Celtics look a little weaker or because the path to the one seed and avoiding Cleveland is a little clearer now? I mean, yeah, like it's, it's you know, I feel a bit crappy, like doing this, this sort of math in the wake of such a serious injury, but that's the NBA, I suppose. Yeah, um, I mean, look, normally I wouldn't want to do this. No, this no, was, I, This I'm was queued up as a season preview podcast yeah, anyway, so. Yeah. Um, originally I had them, I had them lower than both UNC Retso. Yeah, I had them at 46 wins, uh, and in fifth place. And I don't know, I'd really have to think about how to change that. I, I, I also sort of think Giannis and Milwaukee are going to have a big year. And I know that's not uh, everybody. I think Milwaukee should stop making bad decisions about how to build around Giannis. Yeah, I guess this always happens. I see somebody like awesome against the Raptors in the playoffs. I'm like, that, that guy's going to be awesome. I mean, Giannis is awesome. Yeah, he, but might, he might be a top three player in the NBA this year. Yeah. And, and, but the thing is, if he's only top 10 or top 15, then... Yeah, he needs to be top, you know, five for them to, to leapfrog the Raptors and, or, you know, one of the Raptors or... Oh, stupid stuff happens to the Wizards all the time. I won't say the Wizards. They have but, no depth also, Washington. Yeah. yeah. I uh, love so, Tim Frazier, but if John Wall goes down... That's yeah, um, I think, you know, before this, I could have seen a scenario in which the Raptors finished second or, you know, maybe behind Boston ahead of Cleveland. I would say that was their ceiling. And now I'd say it's first. Like if, if Cleveland nails in the season and Boston isn't able to uh, recover for, you know, they've lost basically their three you know, most important, you know, Gordon Hayward plus the two wings you mentioned, they've lost the most important wings. Uh, and that's, you know, imagine if the Raptors lost CJ Miles, Norm, DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> um, it's hard to recover from. Uh, so uh, I, I think the Raptors certainly have shown they can put together uh, awesome regular seasons. They will be in tough to get off to a good start just because of their schedule. But their ceiling has, and I don't, the ceiling and their possibilities have, have raised, yes. All right, one more note on the Celtics. Uh, watch out for Abdel Nader. I think he's going to figure into the back end of that rotation now for a little bit, and I like him a lot. Um, good. Yeah, uh, maybe he'll be good is the thing we can say about a lot of Raptors. Yes, so let's transition to talking about the Raptors who maybe will be good. Um, first thing, we've talked it to, to death in kind of the written Raptors reason of us at this point. Uh, sounds like C.J. Miles is going to come off the bench. Is that the feeling that you've gotten from the last couple practices? Oh, yeah. Like when Dwayne Casey said, uh, I like the way he's he's sort of, he basically called him the glue guy of the bench and the guy who holds things together and, and makes the pieces fit and adds a bit of, you know, quote-unquote veteran leadership. Seamless. I think that's... From two path to two legs. As the, yeah. uh, as the guy in the second unit. There you go. Um, it seems that's the way they're going to go. That I mean, I've written and, and you wrote and we agreed in a shocking 
turn of events that that maybe wasn't what we expected last week. But uh, as we both also said, uh, it doesn't matter that much because both, uh, you know, that he Dwayne Casey has said the situation will be everybody's favorite world fluid word fluid um, and uh, they're both Powell and Miles are both going to play big roles so I think uh, I think the big yeah. loser in this setup is uh, people who were really high on Norman Powell as either a six man candidate or a fantasy player uh, because his usage is going to drop from like 25 or 26 that it would be as the fulcrum of the bench unit to like 17 18 with the starters yeah and we did we saw that throughout the season last year and into the playoffs. Uh, and maybe and maybe that's the thinking, you know? Here's a, a young player, and we'd rather have him in a tertiary role as opposed to a secondary role, you know? Like, maybe you just bring him along slower, know that he has a tendency to want to push the envelope and be aggressive, and you're putting him in a position where he has to uh, tamper that down just a little bit. Uh, which could be good for him, or you know the sw- the starters could have swapped in five games. So uh, again, I don't think it's a big deal, but uh, you know based on the preseason that the plan, you can see why they did that. Miles did seem to fit in really well with the kids. He did uh, bench dad. <laughs> uh, so the other, I mean, we we don't have any more clarity on the questions that we talked about last week in terms of Jakob Pertl versus Lucas Nogueira. We got one more game of OG Ananobi to further muddy the situation with him and Pascal Siakam. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll ask there, we'll just revisit just the Ananobi Siakam as first forward or ninth man or, or however you want to describe that spot. Um, did you do, do you have a sense of who that guy might be on opening night and how quickly it might change? I have no idea. Um, this is they, not what we pay you for, Eric. You don't pay me anything. Um, they they both had their moments, and you know the Raptors Raptors fans probably wanted to be Ananobi because he's new and he's exciting and he has the worst quotes of all time, and that makes for like a colorful you know addition to the to the season. Uh, but I think these players are more are closer than than you would think. Uh, based on the conversation coming out of the na- the hashtag narratives coming out of preseason, uh, Siakam looked really good early on. He was in passing lanes. Uh, he looked, he knew where his shots were. He knew where his three point. He only went three for ten, but he knew where those shots were. You know, they were in the corner for the most part. Um, and his defensive upside, you know, maybe not quite where Ananobi's is, but it is. Very, very high, I would say. So I'd say, again, that's going to be a hot hand situation. Uh, whoever, whoever's playing well will get, will get the majority of the minutes to start. There's probably not a ton of room for both of them, uh, which isn't to say they won't play in the same games, but I think the, minute, the overall minutes, the number of minutes that are there, uh, isn't going to change barring an injury. Uh, as far as Pirtle and Bebe goes, I fully expect Pirtle to get the first shot. Yeah, and I fully expect Bebe to, unfortunately, keep posting very emo Portuguese quotes on Instagram. Um, he is going through something right now, I think. Mm. That is, uh, you know, knowing... I, I don't want to speculate on what it is, uh, but that is... 
sort of matches up and aligns with what's gone on in his career so far. And as I as I wrote, a lot of, you know, not just to the Raptors, but potentially to the rest of the league, how well do you handle the situation and hashtag stay ready? Um, and that all, hasn't always been Bebe's specialty, but he's it looks like he's going to have to show that he's, he's grown up in that sense. Uh, and again, I think the... I think we both think the world of him as a player, uh, or, or at least a lot of him as a player. Uh, his upside to me seems like it's greater than Pirtle's. He, you know, great, uh, great rim deterred, uh, rim protector, or a very good rim protector, a great threat as a roller, seemed to have chemistry with Kyle Lowry. Uh, he's gonna play, but I don't think, uh, you know, based on what we saw, He's not going to get the first crack. I'd be very surprised if he did. Yeah, Dwayne Casey's maintained similar to Ananobi Siakam, Bright Van Bleet, Miles Powell, that uh, not to look too much into any one or two or three game blips of the rotation looking a certain way. You can definitely make a case for Nogueira and Pirtle to trade the rule back and forth based on matchups. Um, and, you know, Casey has made it seem like a lot of the young guys are going to get chances at different points. So whether that means a short leash or fewer minutes for the starters or what, um, a lot of this stuff is going to be stuff we talk about throughout the course of the season. Blake, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, what is your biggest question about this team? Um, I think the biggest one is whether when adversity strikes, whether that's in terms of losing a couple games or being late in a close game um, or whatever, and the six-game West Coast road trip early on should be a good, uh, a good test of that, is whether the new offensive paradigm holds up to adversity or whether this team is is you know quick to go back to what they were before and, and for single possessions and late in games and when they start rolling out some of the old playbook that'll be fine um like DeRozan and, and Lowry are still going to run their plays they're still going to score out of the pick and roll that can coexist with the new way that they want to play and the more pass-oriented democratic offense uh, but you know if they come out of this west coast trip and they're three and five or something like that um, how well does it hold up and, and how how large is the urge to um, go back to what's worked so well in the regular season in years past? So I think I think that's probably the biggest question. More tangibly, um, whether the three-point shooting is good enough to warrant such an aggressive shift is probably the more measurable uh, question they're facing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly the biggest thing that has changed about this team is, uh, at least in the way they're talking and the way they intend to play. And, you know, we said it, a few times, uh, it's very easy to revert to your habits when things go wrong. Shocking. And, I would know nothing uh, about that. Uh, so it's going to take some, you know, some strong coaching, some strong leadership from Lowry and DeRozan, and I, I put it on them uh, because the ball, you know, it's not like the ball is going to be in different people's hands that much more often or, or start in different people's hands. Uh, much more often. As, as Nick Nurse said to me, it's about making a few guys a little bit more versatile. That's really what this change is about. Uh, it's about when those traps come in the playoffs, can you swing it and then have a guy who can shoot, pass, and dribble? Like, that's... I mean, that sounds simplistic, but that, that's it, right? Yeah. Uh, so, they've got a, you know, this there's a lot of sweat equity from DeRozan and Lowry's perspective, and they've got to be leading that. Yeah, because those defenses are still going to trap. They're going to trap aggressively. Like, no one, 
no defense is going to sit back and assume the Raptors have been entirely earnest about this change and that they're a new team. They're going to defend the Raptors like the Raptors have played the last four years. And they're yeah. going to trap heavily, you know, maybe not in the regular season because some teams don't like to get out of their core principles just for regular season games. But, you know, the first time they play Milwaukee, you're going to see a lot of traffic. Mm-hmm. The first time you see, uh, you know, Golden State with a lot of length or, um, you know, Houston with a lot of switchability, you're going to see these different different defensive looks. Um, and they're going to get trapped a lot. So um, I think that's maybe an opportunity early in the year where if they respond well to that, uh, to those defenses early on, not only will it kind of build the confidence and the buy-in that they've built kind of the last two preseason games, but you'll see defenses have to sort of shift over time, uh, and that'll open up more of their core stuff. It's a, it's like a three-phase thing where phase one is hammering these principles home and kind of breaking old habits and building new ones. Phase two is seeing how it works against actual defenses that are trying, and then phase three will be adjusting to how defenses are then adjusting, and that'll be the part where they find the balance between the old and the new. Yeah. Uh, my other main question is how their wing depth is going to come together. Uh, it's just, you know, whether it's DeRozan and Powell, DeRozan and Miles, Powell and Miles, uh, none of those guys are defensive stoppers. And, and the Raptors have spent, or, or quasi-stoppers, you know, nobody's stopping the best players in the league, as Miles reminded me several times uh, yesterday, both in a scrum and afterward. Um, but this, you know, there's the, a the reality in the NBA that these guys exist. And you saw the difference for the Raptors when P.J. Tucker was on the floor last year in the playoffs and when he wasn't. And they've spent a lot of assets. They spent $15 million a year to get to Murray Carroll. Then they had to trade a first-round pick and and uh, and pay Justin Hamilton off to get rid of Damari Carroll. Uh, they gave up two second-round picks to get P.J. Tucker, you know, and now they've drafted O.G. Ananobi, who has more versatility potentially defensively, but at least to start, that will be that's where they hope his value will be. I think is is as a bigger wing defender. Um, and he should be good, but rookies are bad. Yeah, no, exactly. And so my point is they've spent a lot of assets over the years on trying to find this guy. You can argue Bruno was part of that, too. Past uh, no. Uh, you, can, you can argue Bruno <laughs> is part of it. Um, and it's, it's just something that's going to be an ongoing story because they, you know, as we said, the roster construction here is they're deeper at center than most NBA teams you know, are, and they're deeper, they're deep at point guard still, and the wing beyond the top three, which is all you need if everything falls right, which but over the course, well, yeah, over the course of the season, it's like having, it's like only having five starting pitchers in baseball, right? Like, like that sounds great if everybody makes 33 starts, but it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, DeRozan, Powell, and Miles are not all playing 82 games. Uh, remember that year where like, all the starters played more than 75 games or something. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think bet on that happening very often. 13 and 14. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think Sirat would be irate if Kyle Lowry played 75 games. Yeah, I mean, 75 might not be a terrible number if the seven that he misses are, like, strategically laid out. I think I said 70 in the, the piece that, oh, I shouldn't give away the answers to the panel that's coming out. Yeah, um, yeah, it's top secret. Yeah. So, yeah, it, you look at it and... 
you know, you the, the guys you listed, Al, Alfonso McKinney and KJ McDaniels are also still on the roster. One of those guys will likely be cut in the next week or two. Uh, my guess would be it's McDaniels that gets cut, uh, but that's, you know, not a certainty. And the team doesn't sound like they've decided yet either. Uh, and then you have Malcolm Miller on a two-way deal who um, I've said this other places and just kind of like it's not worth the piece all on its own. I think people are going to be impressed when Malcolm Miller finally gets out there and if he gets a chance in his 45 days with the NBA team. he's uh, He's been, like, dominating in all the shooting drills, even though he's one-footed. <laughs> uh, tell the people more about one-footed uh, Malcolm Miller, what you mean by that. Is uh, you know, 3 and D prospect in that two-way spot, and he's shot, like, a high 30s percent on threes at pretty much every level, including a high volume in the G League two years ago. He's 6'7 or 6'8 with a 6'11 wingspan and his standing, his standing uh, or his max vertical, so like your the highest point you can touch jumping is 12 feet high. So he's got some balance. He's always he's always had really, really strong block rates for a combo forward at every level he's played. Um, and he has the Raptors preseason high in free throws made out of 100 with I think 95 or 96. And uh, yeah, he's been doing really, you know, the, the Raptors kind of have these boards at Biosteel Center. Um, that they yeah. update every so often with who's shooting well in corner threes and moving threes. I don't think he does a ton of the moving threes, but his corner threes are really up there. Yeah, And he's, um, he's progressed to five-on-five half court, so he's not too far away. He'll be ready probably by the start of the G League season. Yeah, uh, and again, it's going to be interesting to see how not only the Raptors, but every team around the league uses those combined 90 days. Yeah, uh, my guess is, spot. at least in the case of Lorenzo Brown, they'll hold him in case injury strikes a point guard because yeah. this team always wants three point guards on the roster, um, which yeah. is why you know they went through all of last year with four while DeLon Wright uh, worked his way back. Um, but So yeah, I would think Lorenzo Brown is kind of, you know, maybe later in the year it changes because you want to get him his 45 days up with the NBA, but I think he'll yeah. be kind of a break glass in case of emergency. And then Miller... You know, Miller's going to depend on not only how he responds when he's back on the court with the 905, but how McKinney or McDaniels and even Bruno look at the end of the bench. Um, Yes. You know, it's not completely uncharacteristic to use an 11th or even 12th guy for Dwayne Casey in a a regular season game. So, Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of coaches, except the Houston Rockets, who only played eight people on Tuesday night. Yeah, gutsy. Opening night. Gutsy. Mike D'Antoni is just the best. Yeah. Um, Okay, Eric, so... Let's pivot a little bit because something else has started up along with the NBA season. Last week was the season premiere of Riverdale. Oh. Now, Isn't Caitlin supposed to be uh Yes, so starting uh, next week. Starting next week, um, Caitlin McGrath, our wonderful editor, uh, will be joining this podcast for a segment called The Riverdale Reasonablest, where she will come on and take Eric's place because Eric is bad and doesn't like Riverdale. Or only likes it to make fun of it. Um, Caitlin, that's, that's that's more accurate. Yeah. Caitlin is has a more measured taste in pop culture and um, you know understands how good Riverdale is. So she'll be coming on for a weekly segment starting next week. The reason we're not doing it this week is because uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, and the next episode airs Wednesday night, so it would be like really unfresh. Normally, this podcast will come out on Monday or Tuesday, um, and it'll have a little more time to breathe between Riverdale episodes. So I didn't want to rush it. And bring Caitlin on, and then this podcast only goes ends up going out um, Wednesday night or something like that. So, Eric, quickly, your thoughts on the Riverdale season premiere? Uh, 
their first line of dialogue was, our story continues. Jughead is such a bad writer. <laughs> yeah, no, you've been on this since, since day one. Yes. Um, and it's not just like, oh, my God. Like, that breaks every rule of, like, compelling Narrative. screenwriting there is. It's infuriating. Um, are we having spoilers or not? It's been a week. Okay, spoiler alert, if you're really into Riverdale and the Toronto Raptors, uh, again, weird combination, but no judgment because we're talking about this. Also, if you're really um, into Riverdale and you haven't watched the season premiere a week after it came out, you're not really into Riverdale, you know? Yeah. Um, I thought Sideshow Luke Perry was going to die. Okay. Um, and I'm, I think it would have been more interesting if he did. Well, he's, he might not be out of the woods yet. You never know. You never know. But, um, but interesting debuts, Mark Consuelos. There was no F.P. Jones, which was disappointing. Uh, yeah, we maybe... Get, uh... We didn't get to meet Replacement Reggie. <laughs> we did for a second, didn't we? Yeah, I think, like, for... But he wasn't, like, important. Like, he wasn't... Yeah. He was. Mm. He played the role that Reggie played last year. We need... They need Reggie. Reggie is an important, you know, storytelling device for the... Uh, the Archie comics kind of... Yeah. The universe. Yes, I lost my train there. Um, anyway, do you have any predictions for who shot Fred Andrews? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I, and obviously it ended with uh, the same, or we're led to believe the same uh, person killing uh, poor Mrs. Grundy. Um, so, like, you've got the the snake, what are what the serpents? Yeah, uh, yeah. you've got. I, I don't know. Uh, can't keep track of this. Um, you got the serpents angle. You've got the uh, um, Veronica's father, Hiram Lodge. I think it's only Hi- Hiram, but because I'm Jewish, I have to say Hiram. <laughs> um, uh, so something coming off of uh, his network of uh, associates. Uh, is definitely possible. I don't think it would be Hiram himself. That did not look like Hiram Lodge, who we did meet. Um, by the way, Veronica's parents are... Th- this isn't new to teen dramas, but Veronica's parents do not look old enough to be her parents. No, they do not. Marcus uh, is like kind of ageless, though, right? Like That's, that's how you make yeah. the transition from soap operas to the mainstream, is just look the same forever. Yeah, uh, that's what I have going for me as well. Um, that, wasn't that because you started out looking 30? <laughs> yeah, uh, I've been 30 since I was 12. Um, so I think those are the two main angles, but, you know, as we learned with a markedly better show, Veronica Mars, it's easy to throw red herrings in there um, and have the the true killer, like, buried in plain sight, hidden in plain sight. So uh, I don't have a great guess yet, but, you know, while I mentioned the Serpents and Hiram, I think it's going to be somebody unrelated to them. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, so before leading into this season, I was, like, coming up with a scenario in my head where it could have been Jughead, but that's, uh, like, as a way to, like, appease F.P. Jones and fully integrate with the Serpents and out of jealousy of... 
Archie and stuff, but the Miss Grundy thread doesn't make any sense there, so. And it also, like, looking at the guy's face, it just couldn't be him. Yeah, but you've seen shows do weirder things than, you know. Yeah, but uh, Riverdale is only the highest of art. Yes, this is true. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who it's going to be. I kind of have to refresh myself on the... Uh, the canon to see, yeah. you know, was there another teacher or a, a boyfriend at some point that might be jealous about Miss Grundy, um, and you know, it, instead of killing Archie, just wanted to torment him or something like that. I don't know. We, we've got a lot to find out still. Yeah, um, I, I don't know how dark Archie is going to go, um, and I mean, I think they should go down that road a little bit. Uh, I, I'm, I would tend to get a bit worried. Uh, with the dark comic book heroes, like, you know, ever since Batman Begins, sort of every every possible uh, comic book world has been made dark. Um, and there are definitely varying returns on that. And I'm not sure how well this show will handle that, but it might be more interesting than Archie just being the worst. Yeah. That's the thing, right? Is like I, I don't know if Archie could pull it off. I don't know if they could write Dark Archie well, but it can't be worse than season one, Archie. Yeah, like that's like oh, all the girls was... like me, including the teachers. Oh, I have all the support from my family to play music and football. Oh, my grades are good. Life is so but re- sad. But remember, remember the time when the Pussycats got mad at him. Yes, he didn't. After having played an instrument for a week, he didn't get to close out the the school concert. Garbage. And he's a child of divorce. Hashtag free Archie. Yeah, um, Archie's bad. Oh, my favorite part of the episode, and this is the last we'll say of it, um, Jughead just smashing a burger at Pops finally. Yes. I like how they waited until the end of the season last year to get a burger in there yeah, with and, Jughead. And even then it was that, that was, yeah, that was amusing. I kind of, uh, so did I ever tell you about my theory when they hadn't, when they hadn't done it for a couple episodes? I don't think so. So I, I thought maybe they were going, like, um, not quite, like, an addiction route, but, like, Jughead was going to be, like, hiding that he's addicted to burgers, and, like, you would, like, see them hidden in his locker when his locker was open, or, like, one would fall <laughs> out of his backpack, and, like, eventually it would be a storyline where, like, like Jughead is sneaking burgers all the time, and everyone's really worried about him. Yeah, would be, like, that would not be healthy. I mean, obviously eating a bunch of burgers is not healthy, but also storing them in your unrefrigerated locker would be particularly unhealthy. Yeah. Look, I was at a, I was at a group gathering a couple weeks ago where someone rolled through with like 15 McDoubles, and they sat there over the course of hours and ke- kept getting eaten. I don't think it would be, yeah. you know, you roll through Pops first thing in the morning, get a couple, load up the backpack in the locker, I think you'd be okay. Yeah, I think if you're operating in a few hours, you're all right. But if you're like, if that's staying overnight, and if you're, you're, and if you're going without cheese on the burger, you're probably even a little safer. Yeah, true, true, very. True. And I'm 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 not a big fan of cheese on a burger, so. Oh my god. Fine, yeah. Um, okay. What, what, one I, more question for you. Like your your food takes are just questionable. Yeah, I'm not a good person to talk to about food. TV shows though, right there. So let me ask you one more about TV. Yeah. How quickly has The Good Place risen to be one of your favorite shows? I think it's probably my favorite show airing right now, um, like currently on TV. Um, you know, I have a bit more attachment to other shows that have been on longer, probably when I think about how excited I am about them. 
maybe only the Americans, actually, which is coming off a bad year, uh, relatively speaking. But, I mean, as I wrote, it maybe shouldn't be such a surprise because, you know, Kristen Bell is great, and I love Veronica Mars, and Ted Danson is great, and I love Cheers, and Mike Schur, who behind Parks and Recreation and, uh, and he's half of the team that came up with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. They're both like really fun at time. I mean, Brooklyn Nine-Nine isn't really poignant, I wouldn't say. It but did have um, on Tuesday night one of its best episodes ever for my taste. Uh, this is a Halloween episode, right? Halloween heist. I, I have not seen it yet, okay. so uh, we won't hashtag no um, But yeah, it's... Um, and it's a show about, you know, trying to figure out, you know, morality. So that seems right up my alley. Uh, nonetheless, I'm surprised, uh, I think, because high concept comedies, uh, you know, when you think of Parks and Recreation, it's like Amy Poehler leads that, you know, group of ragtag government employees. And when you think of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Andy Samberg leads, leads a group of ragtag uh, police officers. Uh, and this is a lot more complicated and it's harder to pull off. Um, the first year, you know, in hindsight was brilliantly constructed, but it wasn't as, um, you know, you didn't really know where it was going. And, uh, ever since things became apparent, uh, for those who hadn't, I've talked to a lot of people who haven't caught up on it, uh, yet, or are catching up on it on the first seasons on Netflix, I believe. Uh, the pivot they've made is just incredible. Yes, it's terrific. Very, very And Ted Danson, Ted Danson is a treasure. Yes. He's, uh, the last week's episode was right up there in terms of all-time Ted Danson performances. Yeah, it's just like in terms of funniest moments of the show, I think that was like, they've had more like interesting episodes, but that was like among the funniest episodes they've had. Yeah, and then you know you have uh, you have John Yu who, like, is, has started to steal uh, pretty much every scene that he's in, which is uh, which is great. Portal, even the ones when he's not yelling out portals, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a good show. I like it. Yeah, um, Manny Jacinto, if I'm pronouncing that right, I have no idea. Um, it might be a hard scene. Ah. I'm not sure. Manny will have you on any time. Yeah. Um, all right. We should wrap this up because we got to go to practice. Uh, yeah. The last uh, practice before the regular season begins. Hallelujah. We only have to talk to Dwayne. Have to talk. I know, you know, we only get to talk to Dwayne Casey three more times before they play their first game. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, because she was them pretty game, right? Uh, yeah, I heard word that maybe they were going to take one of those away uh, for Dwayne, which I think is, you know, long overdue, yeah, but we'll see. I think they should kill shoot around, honestly. Well, if they killed shoot around, everybody would be happy. Yeah. Uh, but that's another conversation. Yeah. Um, all right, man. So, uh, I will see, well, yeah, I was going to, like, sign off, like, I won't talk to you for a little bit. I'll see you in, like, an hour. Yeah. Uh, guys, enjoy the season. Oh, uh, um, and if you're a listener to the podcast, sorry to cut you off, Eric. If you're a listener to the podcast and you don't subscribe to the Athletic Britain content yet, uh, starting Thursday, you can go to theathletic.com slash we the north and uh, 30% off subscriptions for the first week of the Raptors season. You'll be able to catch um, Eric's writing every day, my writing twice a week, Sirius writing once a week, um, and a bunch of good stuff from every other athletic vertical 
uh, Leafs, Jays, every other city. College basketball, college football, if you're into college football, uh, which would be weird. Uh, college football's really... No, college football's great. Uh, <laughs> that's my take on college football. Um, but they have great writers covering college football, sure if that's your thing. Uh, so, yeah. it's uh, And you also got a one-week free trial. Uh, so if you are un- if you're displeased with, you know, the very small amount of money that you would be paying, which, as we like to say in the virtual office, is less than the price of a fancy coffee if you buy a year's subscription per month, uh, then you can always back out. So this is a good time to try it, and we hope you enjoy. And uh, I know both Blake and I are eminently available in case there are things you want to read about. You can reach us on Twitter, uh, through email. Like DM, DMs are open. Mine aren't. Yeah. Do not DM me. Honestly, uh, like, I'm never at a shortage for ideas, but there's nothing better than like someone reaching out and being like, hey, this is something I'm really interested in. Um, yeah. Do you like go talk to someone about it or like dive into the numbers or video or whatever? Yeah. Um, I love doing that stuff. We are powered by your subscriptions, so we want to, you know, we want to walk the line of writing what's interesting and and we find intellectually uh, interesting to us and what you guys want to uh, read. And hopefully, more often than not, those things intersect. All right. And with that, we will uh, we'll talk to you next week. I don't know when. Eric, you're not traveling, right? No, I am not going on this first trip. I will be in the Boston-Houston New Orleans trip in the middle of November. All right, well, we'll probably try to record Tuesday then, and we'll have uh, three Toronto Raptors games in the books for you. We'll have lots to panic about at that point and lots to reasonableize. Eric, thanks so much, guys. We will talk to you next week. See ya. If only to be a reasonable man.